Family Kick is live. It is Thursday night, January 27th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Where is Jackson Dart right now? Caleb Williams, where are you at? Will you be in the same place by the time this live broadcast goes off the air that you are right now? Probably not, but we're going to make sense of whatever we can make sense of tonight. We are jam-packed. We are high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We are a mere 24-some-odd hours coming off of our final five-star reveal show here at 24-7 Sports, and we are what? Uh, seven days from yesterday, so a week from yesterday, we are just around the corner from our National Signing Day show. The reason I paused is because I just realized yesterday I said nine days. I thought yesterday was Monday the whole day. I don't know why that was the case. But anyway, there's a lot of talk about recruiting right now. And, I, you know, we don't do individual recruit breakdowns on the show as much, but I do have something to address tonight because there are a lot of allegations flying around, and there have been for quite a while, basically since Nick Saban came to Alabama. There's been this allegation, and you know good and well what the phrase is. It is... Bama bump. It's Bama bias. And then you got the Bama bump. The Bama bump is a noun. It is an actual thing, allegedly, that takes place in the recruiting world. Well, look, am I employed by CBS and 24-7 Sports? Yes, I am. Am I a mouthpiece for the company? If they pay me enough. Tonight, will I be? No, I will not. So you and I will investigate together. And if, big if, if we find evidence, I'm calling the company out. We'll do that mere moments from now. We will also talk about the latest in the transfer portal. There are rumors, we are well aware of them, about Jackson Dart. Where has he been admitted to? Where will he enroll? Has he already enrolled? Is he waiting on someone else to make a decision 3,000 miles away? All of that we will try and unpack as best we can here with our very determined crew on Late Kick. We'll do that about 15 minutes from now. Also, the Tennessee Mood Tracker rolls on. The Mood Tracker series is getting a ton of push from you guys. And so we may not even limit it to just one program per show. We may bump it up to two programs per show. I was talking to a player at Missouri today. He said, I listen to every show. Why haven't you done a Missouri Mood Tracker yet? Well, it is in the cards. So obviously we're going to have to bump it up from just one a show. Also, we've got Q&A and I got a special Q&A. I'm going to ask the question, which defeats the whole purpose of viewer Q&A, but you'll see why it makes sense at the end of the show. At Late Kick Josh, got to make sure you're following on the social platforms. Uh, aside from the obvious reasons, there are some new things happening with the show. Every now and then, I'll ask your opinion on something. And as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I said, uh, if I had my way about it, I would just record the Late Kick Extra podcast in my dark and empty apartment bedroom early in the morning on Wednesdays, and I would send it off to Producer Jordan, and that'd be that. But a lot of you had been asking for more. And what I told our crew was, let's wait. Let's see if our numbers really fade after the season ends. We get into irregular season, what the casuals would call an off-season. And I said, if they leave, then we're not going to give them anymore. But if they stay, we're going to give them exactly what they asked for. Well, you've stayed. Our numbers have been about a 300% year-over-year improvement from this time last year. So you haven't gone anywhere. And as I promised you, if you don't go anywhere, we're going to keep the same energy uh, until spring practice, post-spring practice. Well, what that means for the extra podcast is, we're putting a video product on it. Now, if you just listen to the pod, nothing's going to change. But if you went to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel today, you probably saw a couple of new-looking videos, different-looking thumbnails, direct Colin, hard at work in the thumbnail lab. And what those are is those are video clips from us literally recording in another studio that we have here, the Late Kick Extra podcast. So that's going to be a fixture there. Now, you need to let me know what you think about it. You need to let me know what kind of tweaks you want because uh, essentially... You guys are the executive producers there. We're just kind of the mice on the wheel and we are following your direction. So make sure you're following because a lot of times I don't share all this on the show, but you will get all the details. And it's a great way to get in touch with me at Late Kick Josh Twitter, at Late Kick Josh Instagram. 
that's enough of that. Okay, uh, a little investigation I took it upon myself to conduct earlier today. Colin, this is probably your end point here. So yesterday, we did the final five-star reveal show here at 24-7 Sports. Chris Singletary was on the show. Cooper Patagna was on the show. We've got a cast of thousands behind the scenes, and they are responsible for everything from editing film of high school recruits to actually going out on the road to going to the All-American games and scouting and being in touch with guidance counselors and high school position coaches and parents and family members and everything in between so that hopefully you can get as good a read on a kid and as many eyeballs and as many reps on a kid as you possibly can to get a proper evaluation on him. Now, there is an allegation. It's a dirty one, but listen, we gotta peel the Band-Aid off tonight. Even though I work for this company, not for the next 15 minutes, cause if there is bias involved in this recruiting process, it's not gonna happen on our watch. And so dutifully, we went to work for you, the public today. And I essentially did an internal audit of our entire company. And uh, I did not ask for permission, because we will ask for forgiveness later. But to be clear, here's the allegation. It has to do with Alabama. And the allegation is, just as we see in big government, and just as we see in big pharma, we also have a lobby out there around big recruiting. And that lobby pushes what is known in the recruiting world as the Bama bump. The Bama bump is very simply this. There are wide swaths of the college football public that would lead you to believe yeah, Bama recruits good, but they don't recruit nearly as good as it looks like they do because once a kid commits to Bama or once Bama's in on a kid, they tend to get an extra star or a couple of extra bumps next to their name and they, they end up going from number 64 to number 42 or maybe number 33 to number 27 and what was once a four star is now a five star merely because of that script A, that crimson logo and Nick Saban being attached to their name. Now this sounds dirty to me. I mean, this sounds reprehensible as a matter of fact. We can't be involved in this, certainly as a show. We cannot, in good ethical conscience, be associated with this. And so, I went to digging a little bit. Not just in this class either. I went back quite a while and I was digging. There you see the notables, if you're watching on YouTube, of the Alabama 2022 recruiting class. Some of these guys have already signed. Most of them actually have already signed and enrolled. A lot of these guys are early enrollees now. But if you're telling me that a lot of these guys aren't all they're cracked up to be, hey, we gotta know about it. Now, uh, you can sense probably a dash of sarcasm in my voice, and it really, it's not a dash, really, my voice is dripping with sarcasm right now, because now I wanna be real with you for a second. You had me with this for a long time. You guys had me with this long before I ever came to work here. You guys had me with this for a long time. And I thought to myself, yeah, okay, Nick Saban, I got all the respect in the world for the guy, but really, can they possibly be recruiting at that level? And I would do just like some of you. I would anecdotally pick out an example, and I would see that a player only after he committed to Alabama ended up in the five-star status and whichever service I was looking at at the time, and then I would look at a kid that washed out after being a five-star, and I would say, ha, he must have been overrated. And then I would conversely maybe look at the rivals of some of Alabama, and I would See that a former five-star, once he committed there, bumped down to a four-star. You can do this stuff all day. Uh, each class takes about 25 per cycle. These are hundreds of kids. Therefore, hundreds of examples that if you wanted to, you could anecdotally pick from to make any argument that you wanted to. I used to do it along with you. So only recently, and by recently, I mean the last 10 years, only in the last decade have I changed my opinion on this, but I did not do it without a lot of forethought. I dug, I did my own research. I encourage you to do the same thing. 
Here's what I kept running into. This was the, these actually is plural. These were the terminal flaws to me against the Bama bump argument. Data, logic tended to get in the way. Certainly on-field results got in the way. The NFL draft was a real you-know-what against this argument. Also, the entire concept of Nick Saban. You know, if I am to call the guy the best of all time, which I do, and even those of you who really despise the ground he walks on, begrudgingly have to admit that's the best of all time, you have to allow there to be in the equation the possibility that Nick Saban's evaluations are ahead of the recruiting industry. That has to be on the table. Just logic would tell you if even fractions of the respect you have for this guy are valid, it means he knows how to evaluate talent. And he's got an entire army up there working to evaluate talent. And if you don't know, I'll tell you, he does each and every one of their evals. Personally, there is not a kid who's brought to Nick Saban who's already been evaled and they say, coach, we need your permission to offer this guy. He's doing the eval in person. And he worked in the NFL long before he did in college ball. So what I'm suggesting, I'm just asking, I guess, is it not possible that an alternate point of view to the Bama bump point of view could just be that Nick Saban's evals get ahead of the curve a little bit. I am going to suggest to you that's reality. But look, I used to be on the other side of the fence. So I'm trying to explain to you what changed my mind. I'm not going to try and force you to think any which way. I'm just going to try and use logic and fact-based reasoning so that you and I can walk through this. So let's walk through this right quick. Let's just talk it out. Let me take a little sip of the triple espresso here. Remind me to tell you a story about producer Jesse. Jesse, come in my ear and remind me to tell them a story about you later. So Alabama, let's talk about the Bama bump. If Alabama recruits are indeed being overly inflated on the front end, there's got to be evidence eventually, right? And that evidence, I would assume, would come on the back end. It would either come on underachievement on the field, or it would certainly come in underachievement in the NFL draft. Certainly, these are the two most discernible metrics by which we can gauge whether Alabama recruiting classes were accurately ranked. Now, I think a blind man can see where this is going, but I'm going to take you down the road anyway. Because I'm going to ask you, where does that evidence start to mount? I told you, I looked into it myself years ago when I really thought this through and I said, oh, there's got to be evidence. I'm so sure that the Bama bump exists. There's got to be evidence. Where is it? You look to the left, you look to the right, up and down, everywhere in between. They keep winning national titles every other year on average. Uh, Nick Saban at this point has got like 39 first round draft picks to 26 total losses in his career at Alabama, which is just absurd. It sounds like a spoken typo a verbalized typo. That's real though. There is no evidence there. But look, even if I haven't convinced you, I had, I had already convinced myself by that point, but even if I hadn't convinced you at that point, you could reasonably say, yeah, yeah, but even all that stuff's anecdotal, since that's the word of the uh, year apparently. All that's anecdotal, and you could go to yesterday, because this is what really brought this upon myself. I'm not on the rankings council. And yet even I opened my inbox yesterday because I am kind and I am benevolent enough to write down at the bottom of the screen when they show my lower third bio, I put my personal, well, I put a personal email there. I have multiples and I leave it open so you guys can correspond with me. I had two great emails I shared publicly today. Uh, but yesterday I, I go home and I open up my inbox and I see a whole bunch of people blaming me among several other people for the Bama bump. And they said things like, Elijah Pritchett. Oh, that's mysterious. It's an offensive tackle from Columbus, Georgia, by the way. He commits to Alabama. All of a sudden, he's got a five-star next to his name. And it used to be that uh, Elijah Pritchett wasn't even on anyone's radar. Well, both of those things are true. 
Uh, case in point, the whole save and eval process. In fact, I got someone close to the Alabama program who once called me up, because I'm from Columbus, asking about Elijah Pritchett and asking whether I knew anything about him, because they had only really got him on their radar. Uh, there was a once upon a time situation with Elijah Pritchett where to get good film on him, you had to search his quarterback's huddle account because there was not adequate film out in the marketplace on Elijah Pritchett. Well, guess who did have the film on him? Nick Saban in Alabama had the film on him. And so they put out the offer, to be honest with you, before a lot of people in our industry even had something tangible to look at and work with. But maybe it's not that. You know, let's go devil's advocate. Let's go down that path. There's a fork in the road. There's logic over here. There's what we're about to talk about over there. Elijah Pritchett, I opened up my inbox, I got 10 folks yesterday saying shame on 24-7 sports. Elijah Pritchett used to not even be on anyone's radar screen and now he's a five-star. Why? Well, there can only be one reason here, obviously, because he's an Alabama commit. Now, here's what I did for about 30 minutes and then I just stopped because I realized my efforts were going to be futile. I said, uh, friend, that is, here's the word for a third time, Jesse, keep tracking there, anecdotal. And they said, what are you talking about? And I said, uh, what do you know about Jeremiah Alexander? And they said, he has nothing to do with this. I said, he's got everything to do with it. Do you know out there, if you're watching and you follow recruiting, you do know who I'm talking about. You probably, half of you already know the point I'm about to make. Jeremiah Alexander is a 24-7 sports composite five-star. Now, what that means is, at this company, we take an average of, of every recruiting service and we take the grade that they have on a player and we just throw it in a blender and turn it on and what gets poured out, that is the 24-7 sports composite rating. So it's a perfect blend of the entire industry. Jeremiah Alexander from the state of Alabama, he is committed to Alabama, he's enrolled there, I think. He is a composite five-star. You wanna know where he's not a five-star? He is not a five-star at the very company in which I work for right now, 24-7. What we are saying, to be perfectly clear here, is we are saying that the Bama bump is in real, it's just been full effect, and it's happening all around us. Yet we got this kid named Jeremiah Alexander floating around out here, who you have every excuse to rate a five-star because a lot of the other industries had and a lot of the other entities in the industry had. And for some reason, uh, this company here, which is so hell-bent on perpetuating the Bama bump, chose to suppress his rating and keep him down. Now, when I presented that piece of counter evidence, I got no response. My point is, you could argue all day Either side of the fence, really, you could argue all day. That's why that is, as I said, futile. Because all of it's anecdotal. You can cherry pick. This is not, it's not a basketball class, okay? If you were taking five or six kids per class, then you could really narrow it down. You can't be cherry picking one kid. I had some LSU folks come at me and say, uh, Walker Howard got bumped down to a four-star because he's an LSU commit. What are we talking about? Well, it, it, honestly, let me let you in on a little secret here. If there were a lot of biases in play in this industry, I can assure you, if they were in play, they would be to benefit the LSUs of the world and the Alabamas of the world, but also the Tennessees of the world and the Floridas of the world, the big recruiting markets. Don't overthink the room here. That's how this would actually work. USC football would be propped up at every turn. Had someone ask me about USC earlier today, right here in the live chat, actually. And I said, Let's walk this one through. Are you suggesting to me that there is a conspiracy at this company to take a team smack dab in the middle of the second biggest media market in America 
and actively work against the best interests of that program? Is that what we're suggesting? Is 24-7 sports better off if, 20, if USC does not succeed? Like, is that, is that the point we're making? Anyway, so all of that notwithstanding, I talked to you a long time ago, and I'm going to reiterate right now about what actual data suggests on this, but what I've noticed about the Bama bump crowd is they're around on signing day and early signing day. They're around when we reveal the final five stars. They are nowhere to be found in April come NFL draft time, and they are nowhere to be found in January when it's time to play the playoffs and the national championship game. They are ghosts when it matters the most. Uh, one reason is because you got a guy in Nick Saban winning a national title every other year, thus validating to anyone's mind with common sense, they probably don't have overrated recruiting classes. They keep performing. They keep achieving. The second thing that you need to know is they have put more kids in the first round than they have total losses under Nick Saban. But even if those first two points weren't enough, let me drop the most definitive piece of data on you right now. Alabama draft eligible five stars under Nick Saban are going in the first round at a 48.8% clip. The rest of college football combined, 18.3%. Allow me to translate. Five-star draft eligible players who go to Alabama are more than two times as likely to be drafted in the first round as five-star rated players who go anywhere else in college football. Do you know what that actually means? It means not only according to actual data and logic, is the Alabama rating justified, I could even make a legitimate argument the classes may be underrated. Now let me peel back the curtain a little bit, since I do work here, and tell you what I've observed since I've been here. No one's told me to talk about this. In fact, I'll probably get a text saying don't talk about it. I have sat on these rankings calls before. I don't participate. I'm not on the rankings council, nor do I need to be. But I have sat on the rankings calls before. Here's the reality. The reality behind the scenes is, even though I wouldn't think this way, there are a lot of people who are involved in the rankings process who are fully aware of the perceptions out in the industry. And so if anything, here's what the conversation actually sounds like. What the conversation actually sounds like is something like this. We got this kid here and he checks this box, this box, and this box. He's got that critical factor, this critical factor. Here's the one tie up. The one tie-up is, oh man, he's committed to Bama. Oh man, they already got four or five star rated kids. You know what people are gonna say. Now I'm not saying that ultimately impacts the final rankings decision. What I am saying is if there's an awareness in the room, it's on the total opposite side of the fence of the way that you perceive that it works. The bottom line is the reason they got so many five-star kids is because five-star kids wanna go there. They do a great job in evaluation, so they're often ahead of our industry. And thirdly, the best of all time is running the program. That's the Bama bump. The Bama bump is real, uh, but it's real in a sense that it is earned, deserved, and valid. And if anything, as I just suggested, maybe we need to bump them even a little bit more. And that's all I have to say about that. Uh, I got an email today. Actually, it was a text because this person has access to the iJosh. Let me read this to you right quick. <clears throat> this is from Maurice in Georgia. My mom went to Academy Sports and Outdoors to buy some Braves championship merchandise the night after they won the World Series. But they were sold out, Maurice says. She told me she would try another store. I had to, at that point, have a serious talk with her about why we only shop at Academy now. She's fully on board. Here are the receipts to prove it. At which point, he sent me pictures of receipts to prove that the Braves championship merchandise was indeed purchased at Academy Sports and Outdoors. 
we've got a big announcement coming about Academy Sports and Outdoors in the very near future. We're not going to do it tonight. I want to be properly equipped, but um, things are going very well between us and Academy Sports and Outdoors. We are ready to take our relationship to the next level. And really, all this concerns is me, Academy, and you guys. So that's the relationship. It's a very tight-knit relationship. Uh, but they have thoroughly enjoyed the partnership with us. We have, of course, enjoyed the partnership with them. If you're new to the pod, or if you've been here every step of the way, I just want to reiterate, you continue to make this possible. And all we ask you to do, very humbly, is take the stuff that you're already going to purchase for your life anyway and just do it through Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are the reason why we don't have to have a show full of ad breaks, but they're also the reason why you can have access to one entity that you know shares mutual interest with you and number two, carries anything you need, warm weather gear, cold weather gear, baseball, basketball, football, whatever the case may be. They, of course, have everything you need, but also they don't have to be in your town. Because Academy.com takes care of all your online shopping needs that your in-person shopping cannot take care of. So all I'm trying to tell you is be more like Maurice. It's probably the last time I'll ever give you that piece of advice, knowing who I'm talking about. But be more like Maurice. And for that matter, be more like Maurice's mom. Shop at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Do yourself a favor and do the show a favor in the process. The transfer portal's on fire. Did you know that? If you didn't, I'm here to warn you, the transfer portal is on fire. Caleb Williams, as of airtime tonight, still has not made a final decision. But what's interesting is we've been talking about that uh, January 28th drop ad date for classes out at USC. And there's, there's some debate as to how hard that date is, but there were speculations and rumors floating around LA, still are, that today or tomorrow was kind of gonna be when USC found out something one way or the other about Caleb Williams. Ooh, had a bad hiccup there. So over the past 72 hours, there was a little bit of smoke about Wisconsin. Now you'll remember, what was it be about two weeks ago on the show, this show, we mentioned Wisconsin. And we've got to be real with you. My strategy was not to call our shot. My strategy, as I told producer Jesse, was to just have something in the can. This sounds a little bit slimy, but I just wanted something in the can so that if on the off chance Caleb Williams committed to Wisconsin, we could go in our bag and we could say, called it. Now everyone would understand it was kind of sarcastic, but it turns out, yeah, there was a little smoke there. We don't know how much smoke. We know that there are some family uh, relationships and acquaintances and connections with the supposed offensive coordinator that they have hired slash are hiring. So yeah, there is, there's a little more there than meets the eye. And I selfishly, now if you want my rooting interest here, and most of you, if you're not a USC fan, I think most people would be rooting for something like that to happen, like Russell Wilson did once upon a time. But I would have to say USC is still the odds-on favorite. Now, I was over on the Peristyle earlier. It's the USC message board here at 24-7 Sports. And I, I knew this was coming. You could have predicted this. If Caleb Williams did not immediately leave Oklahoma, do his due diligence in about a week and a week and a half, and then commit to USC and Lincoln Riley, you were going to get some folks who got upset because this kid is not working on my timeline. And we've avoided that on this show, but I know some of our USC brethren are very antsy because right now it is January 27th. We're trying to get ready to kick off spring practice in like a month. And uh, you know, in an ideal world, yes, you would like to know who your starting quarterback is gonna be. Remains to be seen. We can confidently report that USC has been slaughtering the transfer portal outside of Caleb Williams, 
But as of tonight, we don't know anything more about Caleb Williams. But that's not even the juiciest bit of speculation about transfer portal quarterbacks, even in the last four hours or so. So right now, depending on where you get your Ole Miss news from, you are probably seeing some people out there report that Jackson Dart has been accepted into Ole Miss. There, are, there is some speculation out there that he has enrolled. We can't confirm that. Well, at least we have not confirmed that. Now, I've been in the studio 20 minutes. So maybe outside in the real world, out the door, maybe a lot's changed in the past 20 minutes. Chris Hummer, who works for us here at 24-7 Sports, I would highly advise you to follow him on this whole situation. I don't think he's a guy who is going to be scooped on this. Meaning, when there's something solid to report, based on what I know about what he knows about all this, I think that's going to be the guy you want to be following. This morning, he put in a crystal ball, I think it may have been yesterday, put in a crystal ball for Jackson Dart to Ole Miss. And I can tell you that really backs up the way that we felt about this, thanks in part to his reporting on the issue, that they are the overwhelming favorite at Ole Miss to land Jackson Dart. Has it happened? Maybe not as of yet. Michael Trigg, the tight end who seems to be attached at the hip with Jackson Dart, I think probably if you have a rumor about Dart, you might as well just put Trigg's name in the blank below that. Hold on, hold on. Okay, so, so I just got a voice in my ear. That's Jesse talking to me in my ear. Chris Hummer, just moments ago, we are live. This is how live broadcasting works. Put in a crystal ball for Michael Trigg to Ole Miss. So even as it just comes out of my mouth, we didn't produce it this way, but it works out this way, that you can assume those two are attached to the hip. That's what Chris Hummer kind of all but confirms there. Look, I think it's eminent that they both end up at Ole Miss. If slash when that happens, it is a monstrous piece to Lane Kiffin's 2022 puzzle. Because you got Matt Corral heading out the door. Luke Altmeyer, as it stands right now, would probably be their starter uh, this upcoming season. And this is no knock on him, but if you want to advance on the progress that you made on the field in 2021, I think most reasonable Ole Miss fans would speculate, we're going to need a guy the caliber of Jackson Dart to do that. I told Colin and Jesse before the show, you know, we clip most of this for individual use the next day. I told them, boys, I highly doubt that by the time the sun comes up tomorrow, everything that we say in this particular part of the show is going to be relevant. Maybe it will be, but I think that this is going to get dated pretty quick because I think we're going to see action potentially on multiple fronts over the next 24 hours and who knows, maybe 12 hours. You got to remember, when we're talking USC and we're doing a 7 o'clock Central Time show, they're just driving home from work. It's 8 o'clock on the East Coast. You guys are going to watch the show, and knowing some of you, you're about to go to bed after this. They're just driving home from work out there. So who knows? Still a long night ahead in uh, Southern California. Now, there is a guy that we can definitively just confirm and get out of the way uh, where he's going, and that is Jarek Bernard, a converse, three names there. We were talking about him the other day. He is the four-year starter from Oklahoma State. He's a corner, all Big 12, uh, very, very good player. And he entered the transfer portal. He didn't stay there long. He has committed to LSU. This is a monstrous pickup for them because that second corner spot, those that follow the program are well aware, it was a huge question mark. That thing was going to be really, really up in the air. And this is a guy who is essentially a plug and play. It's kind of like when Georgia picked up Darian Kendrick. There, there was no, okay, he's going to go to Georgia and battle for a starting spot. Yeah, the coaching staff didn't just come right out and say, he's a starter, nor is Brian Kelly going to come out and say, this guy's a starter, but I, on this show, will come out and say, that guy's a starter. 
Uh, and he's going to be a very, very timely addition to the LSU secondary. Now, you watch the style they play at Oklahoma State, and there is a stereotype about Big 12 defenses that has just been thrown in the trash. They're playing really good defense in the Big 12 now. And that guy uh, was among the reasons that Oklahoma State, in some metrics, had one of the best defenses in the country this past year. So, you know, this is not, this is not some woebegone, also-ran corner who's got no tread left on his tires, and the tires really wouldn't go that fast to begin with. He's a player. He's, he's played a good mixture of zone and man. Uh, the kind of scheme that they ran under Jim Knowles there makes him probably very prepared for whatever they're going to run at LSU. So that's a big pickup there. Look, the transfer portal is close to winding down until after spring. So we're going to do the segments. We're going to talk about it on the show as long as we need to, but we're getting close. But obviously, two of the biggest dominoes are still out there. So just keep an eye. Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart, if slash when those uh, ticking time bombs there in the transfer portal go off, we'll talk about it. It's going to be a big deal. Okay, the mood tracker rolls on tonight, and I just keep checking my phone because I, I know our luck around here, and I really think whenever these things happen, they're going to happen when we're on the air. So, yeah, I'm scared. We're all scared. Don't worry. We can tremble together. The Mood Tracker series rolls on tonight, and we got to head to Knoxville, and we got to talk about Tennessee. Now, anytime I talk about Tennessee, as you know, in good faith, I go in the control room where Director Colin is patiently waiting on the show to begin, and I say, Colin, I'm talking about Tennessee tonight. What should I say? And so I told Director Colin, who some of you still don't think is real, so if you are part of that crew, just imagine me talking to myself in the control room, and I said, Director Colin, talking about Tennessee, Mood Tracker tonight, you're my Tennessee authority. What do we think? Here's what Colin had to say, and then you can match it with what you think about Tennessee. Colin's mood was, we've been here before, but that sounds negative. He had a positive ending to the tone. He said, I like Josh Heupel. I like Mike White, the athletic director there. He said, yes, we've got questions about defense, depth and whatnot, but that couldn't really be answered last year, given the attrition. More on that in a second. But he did say, it's a much more fun program to follow. There's a lot more energy around the program. And what he said, and I remember he's given me this quote a couple of times now, we already sucked. That's why we had to get a new coaching staff in here. If you're going to suck, at least suck in a much more entertaining manner. No one wants to suck and lose 18 to 6, okay? 38-35 is a little bit different. And so I'm not saying Tennessee sucked last year. Far from that. But it's a much more entertaining style. At least outsiders are much more likely to watch Tennessee now. Here is my mood tracker on Tennessee. The Tennessee fan base or the mood tracker on the Tennessee fan base, I think could best be described as ready for the twist. So if you take a can of soda or a bottle of soda and you shake that thing up, one of two things is about to happen. Either when you twist that top off, it's going to go all over the place, or it's going to, because you find out you got flat soda in your hand. Now, there's a lot of anticipation and there's a lot of guarded excitement around the Tennessee program right now. That's exactly how I'd feel. You know, if, if I lived in Diana, Tennessee, right off 65, underrated rail town there in Diana. If I lived in Diana, Tennessee, and I was a Tennessee fan, I'd feel that way. That's exactly how I'd feel. But I wouldn't have 100% confidence on what's going to happen if slash when we twist that top off. We're one year in. We're right around one year since Josh Heupel got hired and Mike White, the athletic director's there. Even in the midst of a rebuild, we don't know what their version of Tennessee fully is going to look like. We have some good sneak previews as to what it's going to look like. I'm a big believer they overachieved in 2021. To be perfectly clear, you know, they had two or three more close losses, but they won seven games. And I really think for proper context, 
we need to go back. Like on Vols 24-7, those guys have done a really good job of doing sort of a one-year checkup on the program. And they talked about where they were this time last year and then going into spring and coming out of spring. I think some people have forgotten this, though. I think there's a lot of amnesia about how bad this program looked. And they had a ton of attrition already. They were making the move, and the roster was not good. And not only is the roster not good, they then lost a lot of pieces on that roster. And not only did they lose a lot of pieces, you're also talking about bringing in a style and just a philosophy that in a lot of ways is a 180 degree turn from what they had been doing. That spells disaster in the SEC most of the time. And it really doesn't set you up for success no matter what level of football you're playing most of the time. And yet they found a way last year. And even in some of the games they lost, the Pitt game was an instant classic. They went back and forth on that one. Uh, the Ole Miss game, which we were at, kind of gets overshadowed because of the trash on the field at the end and whatnot. Uh, officiating was abhorrent that night. One of, the, one of the biggest calls for change that I think I've ever seen in, in my time watching college football. And unfortunately, it got overshadowed because of the ending. But those were close games. They played Bama close to the half. Uh, the Georgia game, the Alabama game, those they're not expected to compete in. But they got to the Music City Bowl. That's a last-minute kind of game back and forth. So you've got seven wins versus ten wins, and there being a bounce of the balls difference, really, and a one-possession difference in a lot of those games. My point is, this was not any kind of underachievement. This was an overachievement to me in year one. We're seeing progression offensively. That alone is one of the most refreshing things to say about Tennessee football. Think about the last time, if you're a Tennessee Volunteer fan, that you could lay your head on your pillow at night and know that even amidst all the uncertainty elsewhere in the program, and we still got the whole NCAA thing out there, we don't know how that's going to pan out, but at least I know one thing. I know my quarterback's in good hands tonight, and I know my offense is in good hands tonight, and I know that we are in the process of putting a product on the field that skill, perimeter, talent, and quarterbacks are going to want to come and play for. It's been a long time since any of us, myself included, have been able to say that. But there are other positives to consider here. Tennessee is a long way from a finished product, but there are other positives to consider. They lost a lot to the portal, but they also got a lot out of the portal last year, and virtually every one of those guys contributed. Now, some of that was out of necessity, but it also signifies they did a heck of a job evaluating guys in the portal versus their needs, and they got some really good pieces that helped them immediately. How are they going to do moving forward in the portal? Is that how they're going to strike the balance? You know, a lot of, a lot of different administrations, a lot of different staffs have their own idea about how to balance the amount we lean on high school ranks versus the amount we lean on the portal. It's still a little bit too early to know how Josh Heupel in Tennessee view that. For that matter, it's still a little bit early to know how anybody views that. But they were really aggressive in the summer recruiting stretch. Uh, they've, I think, got the number 15 class. They're in the mid-teens right now as it relates to the 2022 cycle. But it is my belief when we specifically look at talent acquisition, whether through high school recruiting or the portal, I think it is a lie when people tell you Tennessee is not capable of recruiting like they used to. And this is not even a, it's not even a commentary on the potential of Josh Heupel at Tennessee. This is just me talking about Tennessee. I've always felt this way. To me, the secret is not asking how much in-state talent in the state of Tennessee is there. I think Tennessee's a whole lot more likely to pull talent out of Charlotte than Memphis, is what I'm telling you, because of the shape of the state and because of how sheer geographical dynamics work. The way I've always felt it's more proper to gauge Tennessee 
is drawing a six-hour radius around the campus and understanding that that includes North Georgia, North Alabama, most all of Tennessee. You get into Ohio, you get into the Virginia area, the Carolinas. There is a ton of talent in that six-hour radius. If you've got the right environment and right staff and culture on campus, it will be attractive. Having a good offense helps out a whole lot there. If you take that Part A and then you combine it with a Part B of really thorough evaluation processes for not only leveraging the transfer portal to get raw talent out of it, but getting the right kind of talent that fits your scheme and guys that can be plug and plays, you can put a winning product on the field. To be clear, when I say winning product, I mean you can compete for the SEC championship at Tennessee. Not this year, necessarily. Uh, you can surprise me. Feel free to do so. There is no reason why Tennessee has to resign themselves to taking a back seat there are teams in the SEC that, if we're real with ourselves, kind of have to do that until further notice. Tennessee's not one of them. Now, just because Tennessee hasn't been something for a long time doesn't mean the program lost the capability to be that. I have never believed that. And so it's going to be real fun because this is a program, if you, were, if you were putting a spotlight on a program in the Southeastern Conference this spring, I don't know, outside of Florida, because there's just a whole bunch of new down there, I don't know that there's going to be a more fun slash interesting program to watch than Tennessee, because there's so many different ways that this can still go. And I was over on the Vols 24-7 board today, and I was asking, what's your mood right now? And a lot of those guys and girls over there were saying the same thing. There's optimism, but, but none of them are so ignorant to believe, what well, we're out of the woods, seven wins last year will equal 10 wins this year will equal... SEC championship or bust in 2023. No one's talking like that. This is Tennessee. They've learned the lessons over and over and over again. So uh, that's, that's one of the more jaded fan bases. So it's very hard. It is very hard to get them fired up. Some of them are, but they're going about it the right way. They understand, let's be careful. Okay, we see that the top layer of the water here is frozen. There's a layer of ice. We don't know how thick that layer is. So we're not going to sprint across it. We're going to tiptoe across it. They're tiptoeing across it right now. Actually, maybe instead of soda bottles, the better, better metaphor would have, been, uh, would have been ice. Not a lot of that in Tennessee, though. So that's the mood tracker there. All right, what I wanted to wrap up with tonight was a question, and we've been doing a lot of Q&A at the end of the show, but this was not a question that any of you asked. It was a question I asked earlier today that I wanted to get some answers on. So earlier today, I go on Twitter, and I was kind of thinking this morning about a conversation I had, which led to me thinking about the question, if I had five minutes to talk to someone who's never watched college football before, and I wanted to recruit them to the sport, how would I spend that five minutes? Short of teleportation and being able to take them to a moment in time, what would I show them? Uh, what would I play for them? What story would I tell them? So this is the tweet if you're watching on YouTube. That's what I said. You guys get five minutes and you can do with it whatever you want, but you only get five minutes how would you sell someone who may be a sports fan, but they're totally college football agnostic? They have no feel on it whatsoever. How would you recruit them to the sport? And man, it took off. We got a lot of responses on it. Now, there were a lot of people who said, I would show them the last five minutes of the USC versus Texas National Championship game. So that's the 05 Rose Bowl, or if you want to call it the 06 Rose Bowl, like a psychopath, you can do that. It's the 05 Rose Bowl. Yes, that would be very good. Vince Young to the corner. Texas wins the national championship. We didn't know it at the time, but that was the beginning of the decline of USC football, and they've really never been back. Keith Jackson on the call. We just talked about this game like a month ago. The Rose Bowl. It's kind of a movie setting out there. Yes, that would be great. I have no problem with that. 
Some others said the kick six, just the last final five minutes of the 2013 Iron Bowl. Uh, that is surreal. There's nothing like that that we've really seen in the sport before or since then. That's like a Stanford band on the field kind of deal. Yes, that would be another very, very good thing to show. And so there were replies like that. But I was thinking to myself, where would I go? And you know that there are a lot of postseason moments. Like we could go to the 2017 National Championship game. The second and 26, Alabama wins on a walk-off. We could do that. We could absolutely do that. But I'm a regular season guy. And I believe the most precious commodity we have in this sport, and the most beautiful thing about this sport, is the regular season. It's unique unto anything else in sports. So that's what I want to do. I want to show them something that they can't get anywhere else. You can get great endings. You watched the Chiefs' Bills the other day. You could get a great postseason ending in any level of competition, at a high level at least. But where can you go to get what they don't have anywhere else. In college football, where do I go? I go to the regular season. So I was thinking about October 9th of this year. If I could just put a mashup, a montage together of the day October 9th, do you remember where you were? You may not. Let me refreshify your memory. That was the day that we were in Dallas for Oklahoma, Texas. This is the best regular season game I saw. One of the most incredible games, period, I've ever seen. And so that was an instant classic, and that was a field storming at the end. Field storming number one of the day. Then, Dennis Dodd, I think, was up in Iowa City. He was at Penn State versus Iowa. That's when Sean Clifford went down. Iowa wins, I think, to remain undefeated. Field storming number two of the day. And then to cap it all off, as yours truly, even though he's got credentials to the game, forsakes the A&M Alabama game and gets on a plane to go home I'm there watching on the plane as Texas A&M off the leg of Seth Small at a, at a field goal that the buzzer takes down Alabama. Field storming number three of the day. That crystallizes, number one, what the regular season means in college football. Notice I didn't say December night. I didn't say conference championship week. I said October 9th. It was probably, what, week five or week six of the season. And there were three different instances over like an eight-hour period where we had field stormings in Dallas, and we had a field storming in Iowa City, and we had a field storming in College Station, that's what I'd show them. And then I would say to them, this was not a national championship day. This was not a college football playoff day. This was not even a conference championship day. This was just a regular Saturday. Because on any given Saturday in this sport, this stuff can happen. Because as the sport is currently constructed, Every regular season game carries with it maximum importance because unlike pro sports and maybe the future of this sport, there is not a giant safety net built under these games. You don't get to fall off the high wire and then crash harmlessly into the safety net and say, oh, well, I guess we're not going to be a top three seed, probably be like a nine seed now. Nope. Penn State left Iowa City that day knowing they had zero margin for error left. Alabama left A&M that day knowing we've got zero margin for error left. We can't be losing another game. Uh, ditto for Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, Texas, that was their second loss already. And so Texas knew, even though some folks had picked them to be the surprise of the country, they had to reassess their goals already. And Oklahoma, very, very close. They were down like 18 points multiple times in that game. That was the best Saturday of the fall. You could see it coming a mile away. I mean, we did a segment in August where we talked about how good that day would be. If I got someone out there and I got five minutes, that's what I'm showing them.
I don't think the USC Texas strategy is wrong. I don't think the kick six strategy is wrong. I want to show them what's great about the regular season because that is the tool that I'm going to use to recruit anyone to this sport. It's not the postseason. I'm going to use the regular season. Really appreciate you guys being uh, tuned in. Uh, please like the video if you have not already and subscribe to the channel. We have got a weird week coming up next week. So we are going to do the Sunday show here like normal. And then we will be, I'll, I'm going to head down to Fort Lauderdale. The company's giving me an excuse, so I'm going to Florida all week. Always do that. If you live in a town where it's 25 degrees and the sun sets at 430 in the winter, always go to Florida if they give you an excuse to. So I'm going to be down there all week. We are going to do our Wednesday National Signing Day show from Fort Lauderdale. TBD on the Thursday edition of Late Kick. Just stay tuned. Follow me on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. But I do want to tell you this as we go off the air. Two stories, actually. One's very quick. There is a falling iguana alert in South Florida right now. I'm not making this up because they're going to get below 40 degrees down there. Thankfully, not next week. But the iguanas apparently do not handle sub 40 degree weather very well. And so they get docile and they fall out of trees. And so they have to issue, rarely, but they have to issue falling iguana alerts down in South Florida. Now, the last time I was down there, one of the first things I talked to you about when I got back was iguanas are like squirrels. They're all over the place down there. And apparently, they can't handle the cold nearly as well as our squirrel friends up here do. So heads up for iguanas in South Florida. Uh, that'll be rectified by the time I get down there next week. Second thing I want to tell you is, uh, hold on, this company does not sponsor us, so I'm not showing you which company it is. This little, this little can right here holds 180 milligrams of caffeine. I just sip on it. Some of you prefer whiskey. I use caffeine. I just sip on it to get through the day and on the show. Uh, Jesse is a psychopath. Producer Jesse is at his desk today, and I walk in, and my exact words to him were, Jesse, I'm about to punk you one way or the other. He said, tell me more. And so I had Death Wish Coffee. They also don't sponsor the show. Who knows? That could change one day. But it is a 300 milligram, essentially, can of gasoline that somehow is legal to be carried by Publix and other uh, grocery stores across the country. And I said, Jesse, I dare you to drink this. He has turned down the 180 milligram version before. So I peer pressured producer Jesse just to see what would happen. It's always encouraged in a large corporate setting. And so he chugged it right in front of me. He said, I'm, I'm not going to fall for this. And he chugs it. And he, I don't, he wasn't the same person. I, don't, I really didn't recognize the person he turned into. We don't ever have music in the office. I go to the bathroom. I come back. Jesse, what band were you there playing? He was blaring something out of his office, door open, totally classless move. Go ahead, Jesse, I'm listening. He was, he was blaring Disturbed, I think one of my dad's favorite bands. And um, so I will tell you that I, I put the video on Twitter for those of you who wanna see, Death Wish Coffee came in. They acknowledged producer Jesse. And so I just wanted to acknowledge him too because there was a lot of bad that came out of that. So I at least wanted to give him some public recognition that he did not get punked, he did chug the Death Wish Coffee. And it is the first and last time that I will ever try that with him. We got to get out of here because uh, we got a lot of editing to do on the back half of the show. So thank you so much for watching. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh. For Director Colin, much more well-behaved today than Producer Jesse. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless.